Welcome to the Black Doctor Collective Podcast. We as Black doctors are in a unique position. We can change our communities, healthcare, and the world. Of course, we start by changing the way we see and value ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Shanika Horn, pediatrician and physician coach, travel extraordinaire. I am so happy to have you here and listening. So let's get into it. Hey, happy Tuesday. So for me, I'm recording this obviously before Tuesday. And because it's 4th of July weekend week in New York, y'all gonna hear these firecrackers, okay? Because Brooklyn. As it is the beginning of July, I know I promised y'all an episode on quitting and that being the second answer to you know, whether or not you want to be in medicine, how to devote, like, you know, make decisions about your life forward. But actually, I'm changing the topic of today's episode. Sorry, not sorry. Um, But I decided to dedicate this episode to our new attendings, uh, people who have been attendings for a short span of time, maybe who are marking a one or two or three year anniversary at their job. Um, Anyone who's kind of like in this period of transition and is, you know, just trying to figure things out because we're always trying to figure stuff out. So I was on Facebook like I am in one of these doctor groups like I am. And someone asked, what, what's one thing you wish you knew when you first became an attending? Now, if you are a ride or die podcast listener, which I know some of you are, and I appreciate you, you know my first episode, I say, I had no idea what it was like to be in attending. (laughs) So we're going to say this is my reflection after, I mean, technically I've been in attending since my fellowship because my fellowship wasn't a traditional fellowship. So I have really been a practicing attending since 2019. Okay, so I made this list of what I wish I knew. Some of these items are based on skills and some of them are more mindset shifts, but all are personal development, which you know is my jam. All of these nuggets of knowledge on understanding that I am the asset. We as doctors are the asset. I need you to write that down, put it on a post-it, frame it, do whatever. Look at that thing every single day. You are the asset. There is no argument. We're not even having another conversation. Yes, I do agree that a lot of our jobs spend a lot of time making sure we think the opposite. So if you've bought into that propaganda and think that you're just a cog in the wheel, it is time to unsubscribe. Zero out of 10, do not recommend buying into this mindset. This is the first and most important thing to understand, to absorb, to believe, because without this belief, the rest will be hard to impossible to do. And yes, that culture that we have, low value is pervasive. You see it in the way that they treat the mid-levels with their salaries. I'm looking at some of these mid-level salaries like, y'all need to pay me more because um, no, no ma'am. Also, you see in the way that some people talk to you as a doctor, 
last year at the refugee camp, after months and months of me working Monday through Thursday, I think I started in September, and this conversation I had was maybe in March, but they hired this new secretary to handle our schedules instead of us making the schedules for ourselves, which is what we had been doing. And so for peds that had worked, but I guess for the adult side, you know, y'all adult medicine doctors be chaotic and ruining it for the rest of us. Cause our happy peds bubble, we were doing this just fine. But anyway, no shit. Um, anyway, they hired this new secretary to take over from an old one that was leaving. And they told this new one, she had to also take over making of the schedules. And so she called me to come meet with her and to tell me that I needed to start working weekends as part of the deal. I was like, this woman must not know who she's speaking to because I had already put a no weekend clause in my contract. Y'all know at this point, I write everything into a contract. If I want to take vacation, it's in the contract. If I'm only working set hours, it's in the contract. The fact that I don't want to do supervision of mid-levels is in my contract. I put everything in writing because that is the only thing people in capitalist America respect is the written word. Anyway, she didn't know this. So I responded to her and told her that no, I was not available to cover weekends because first of all, how are you going to ask me to start working weekends all of a sudden out of the blue? Like I don't have other things to do. You don't know anything about me. What if I have kids? What if I have another job? Like inconsiderate much? So she responded to me with her bold and bright self and said that many people would want my job and many of those people who want this job because it's highly coveted would be willing to work the weekends. You know, right after that, if you followed me on Instagram for a while, I made that reel that was like, you ain't got to worry about me. You ain't got to worry about me because there was me packing up my stuff to leave because honestly, I literally took this job under under the conditions that I was not working weekends. They accepted me. They hired me. I was doing it for almost six months. And here comes this random little Peggy Sue to tell me that I need to start working weekends because says who? I was so offended because at the root of it, I really felt like she was treating me just like a cog in the wheel. This woman who didn't even have half the education I had. And I was so pissed at her because, I mean, she's really bright, but as the Caribbeans say, bright meaning bold and out of place. But she also was clearly carrying forward a message from maybe the administrators, our leadership team, whoever told her to do this task and also empowered her to talk to me that way. Because she certainly didn't derive all of that caucasity on her own. Someone told her to come and speak to me, and I knew from her positioning that they had given her the impression that I was disposable. Ma'am, like I said, you do not have to worry about me. Y'all can fire me today. I'll still get paid another 30 days. Now, of course, that was me saying that. I'm always terrified to lose my job. I'm still working on my scarcity mindset. And, you know, this is my first job. I'm not really trying to get fired. But at the same time... I felt like they were the ones changing the contract under which we had agreed. So to a certain degree, I was like, I made this point and I'm going to stand on it. Let me tell y'all, it was not even before long. The sweet satisfaction of karma came back and gave her and that admin team 
a whole reality check in a couple ways. First of all, they decided, meaning the government, the military, whoever was in charge of our project, that they were going to wrap up this location. This site that we were at was phase one of bringing over refugees from Afghanistan, processing them to become uh, naturalized citizens of the U.S. and get jobs and all of this. So they required physical exam. And while they were in the refugee camp, they required medical care, urgent care, checkups, things like that. That's what we were there for. The government decided that it was time to end phase one. They were going to move on to phase two. So in phase two, it was going to be a much smaller project. So all of these people that were employed at this project were not going to go on to phase two. I initially didn't have any interest in phase two because they were moving the location from New York, from New York, from New Jersey to Virginia, and I wasn't planning to move. But so to me, at the end of the day, I was going to end up losing this job anyway. As it turns out, they decided to start recruiting people from for phase two from the existing staff. And guess who got recruited and who didn't? Because I have value. You know who's replaceable? A secretary. I have a skill set that despite what they say is not actually easily replaceable. Not to mention my winning personality, my humor, my ability to exist without drama and fix drama, and my ability to provide top-notch quality healthcare. So she learned that any place that treats one employee as an expendable person thinks of all the employees the same way. She didn't see that she was expendable. Neither did the medical directors who were over that camp who told her and empowered her to treat the staff that way because guess what? They also didn't make it to phase two. When you don't act in integrity, it comes back to bite you. So since this secretary realized that she was going to soon be out of a job, having not been recruited to phase two, she asked those same medical directors or I think it was assistant medical director for a letter of recommendation. And guess what? Those triflings told her no. After she did their dirty work and bidding, they would not even write her a letter of recommendation. Again, when you don't act in integrity and you do things for yourself and you end up doing the bidding of others, it does not pay off. Also, pay attention to how others around you are being treated because you too will eventually be treated the same. So let's get into my attending manifesto because I have quite a few things to say. First, medicine is a job not an identity. This is a hard message, especially because we've been indoctrinated into this for a million years, especially our formative years. But you have to learn this. If you believe that this whole career is who you are, then you will not distinguish the business aspects of medicines from personal slights. You will take things way more personally. You'll have harder time with boundaries. You will burn out and not know how to escape, okay? You will be completely off kilter when they treat you like a cog in the wheel. You will feel like you're not valued as an individual. You will have a hard time trying to determine your value. 
not your personal value, but your work value. You hear a lot about charging your worth, charging your value when you go to work for a company. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about your business value, not your personal value. But when you make medicine your identity, those two things get easily confused. The culture of medicine has shifted a lot and shifted quickly, which is why you hear your attendings that are old, old heads, like they've been practicing for 20 plus years, you know, question medicine. They might start talking about retirement, but they might not see how your request to escape is valid because for them, they put in the years without realizing that the same environment that is spurning them into retirement at probably a faster place than they intentioned is also spurning you out at an earlier time because the entire environment is trash. It's just so toxic. So many environments, many clinical environments are now run by business-minded people, people who may not have a medical background. And these people tend to care about profit over people. They're sitting in an office somewhere, running a report, looking at how many people you saw that day, or how many patients were no-showed versus showed versus how on time you were, etc. This is not a dig at business, people. I'm a business person. I operate, however, with integrity and morals. I'm talking about the fact that many hospitals and clinics are now run by companies like Hospital Corporations of America. Don't sue me, HCA. Um, but who place time constraints over patient visits and tell you how many people you have to see and what you can and can't do based on its reimbursement rate. In my clinic right now, they don't even let us do basic procedures because of reimbursement. So rather than to actually do the small things like a small incision and drainage or wrap a kid with a spring with an ace bandage, they refuse to pretty much even supply us with those level of supplies. It's very interesting. This entire culture has many people trying to figure out how to survive in a crushing capitalistic system. It's not the medicine that we signed up for, and it's certainly not the medicine we recognize. And the tenants of our identity as a doctor keeps us fueling these systems that are not kind to us. We are altruistic. We think that staying is what's best for the patient, even if it's not best for us. We feel bad for the patients that continue to go to those practices. And immediately I would counter this by asking, how good of a job do you do when you're exhausted, rushed, and jaded? And I also think about how much better your patients would thrive if they had a lot of options of clinics to go to that were operated properly and prioritized people over the money. And not to say that those things are mutually exclusive. I, I kind of also hate that term because you can be profitable and be about the people. Both things can exist simultaneously. Anyway, when physicians realize that something is wrong, when they consider leaving they struggle because this is now who they are. And so it's like a divorce of identity. This is the thing that they've sacrificed half of their life for. And it becomes this sunk cost argument. As in, I've already submitted X amount of time to this. So I just need to figure out how much more time to make it worth it, right? Not realizing that any change immediately would be worth it. You, you accomplished a goal, right? So... The next lesson I want to impart is that 
you need to develop your own goals and metrics by which to live by. You need to create the identity that's outside of medicine, and then you need to set your own metrics. This applies to work goals, but it also applies to financial goals and personal ones. As it pertains to work goals, you are now in charge of your roadmap. It's not like medical school or residency. The entire pathway to becoming a practicing physician is very clearly outlined. There's time frames, there's steps, there's tests, there's hurdles, all of those things you kind of know about. Some of it you don't really know about until you get there, but nonetheless, you are on the path because you're confident that there is a path. And so when you leave training, you need to really think about what do you want to achieve going forward? What do you think a great job looks like? This will be important once those profit over people metrics really kicks in, like when you're doing when you're working for RVUs. I personally love patient interactions. I love having conversations with people. I love ensuring that they actually understand what is happening what treatments I'm starting. I like going through labs and imaging and charts just to even have some time to think about if I did the best thing. Because sometimes the visit is so short and in reflection, you're like, you know what? Let me add a lab or let me call the mom back and I'm peed, so obviously the moms, but let me call them back and say like, hey, this is what else I want you to do. Give additional advice. I want the time to think through those kinds of decisions. I want to excel at patient care. This is my personal work goal. That for me is how I know I've done a good job. My metric isn't being like the most efficient in terms of having the shortest clinic visits or having my notes turned around in 24 hours. That is important for like continuity of care. I get that. But My priority is the person in the room at the time that they're in the room and maybe even during the day after I've seen them, right? I want to make sure that they're going to do well. So I don't want to do anything that that makes the patient care suffer. I'm not willing to cut corners there. So no matter what anyone says, like if I do patient care well, I know I'm on the right track. If the practice doesn't value patient care, well then I know for me, that's not the place for me and it's time to hit the road. So determining my work goals, setting goals for myself, setting those metrics will always have me feeling like I'm doing a good job. If I'm trying to meet someone else's metrics, I will probably struggle, especially if that's not my natural priority because I will always feel like I'm falling short. I will always be hustling to do something to please them. I talk about, you know, attendings who are in the academic world and getting promoted is the next step. And so you're kind of on this promotion ladder. And to be on that ladder, it involves joining committees and doing research and teaching the residents and the med students and all of these other tasks And sometimes people get so lost in that hamster wheel, they're always chasing the next promotion, the next step, that sometimes they they get lost. And so they don't develop their own work goals. And when they stop meeting the metrics of the person ahead of them in their department or in charge of them, 
they feel crushed, right? And they don't understand how much value they have been producing even when they're not doing all the research and all the committees. So work goals, you got to develop them. Financial goals is another big one. Everyone tells you financially that when you finish training that you need to keep living like a resident or a fellow, don't immediately start using your new and improved income. Let me tell you how much I want to use my new and let me tell you how much I have used my new and improved income. I went to six countries last year and half of those places I flew business class. Actually, all of those places I flew business class. That did not come cheap. And I just only recently learned the whole credit card points rewards thing. It's another thing you should probably learn if you're having a lot of expenses. But to travel for free was not necessarily on my radar. And so I paid for those things and I felt rich, right? But, you know, long term, that's not something that you can maintain, right? So you want to make plans. I want to be able to... Like my financial goals are, I want to be able to walk away from any job that isn't aligning with my work goals and my personal goals. So in order to do that, you know, you kind of start looking out for these financial tidbits of advice. And so the top tidbits include paying off student loans. A lot of the times though, they don't outline the why. And so if you don't have a why, you're always going to do the same things you've been doing. You're always just going to spend the money in the exact way you spend money. That's your money habit. You will continue the same money habits you've always had, even when you increase your cost of living. I'm pretty sure your cost of living increased every year of training, every time they increased your salary. And that's exactly what you're going to do when you start making money as an attending. And then you'll feel like you can spend because you deserve it. I mean, you do deserve it because hello, delayed gratification. You did earn it. And you feel like that gratification has been delayed long enough. People will also tell you to get a financial planner. But if that's not something you think is important and if you're just trying to wing it, you're not gonna get one. You won't even know where to find one. Then attending life will happen, you'll get busy, and you'll figure, eh, I can manage my finances. And the next thing you turn around, you're living paycheck to paycheck as an attending. Get some financial goals. Hire a money coach. I say hire a money coach, hire a you know, a business coach, hire some kind of coaching. Those people all, we all have done money mindset stuff. I do money mindset stuff with my clients now as part of our program. Because having financial goals and creating wealth for yourself is the ultimate track to freedom. Whatever you decide to do, you get to do that because you know you're financially backed. There's nothing worse than being in a crappy situation and not being able to exit it because you are still reliant on someone else's paycheck. That is a trap. I need you to be very clear about your why for the financial goals. Like I said, for me, it's so that I can walk away when things aren't going well. It's also so that I can take as many vacations as I want. And, you know, I spend like a drug dealer on vacation, so I have no budget for that. And um, yeah, I need to just earn that much more money, right? Um, I also do it so that I could hibernate for the winter 
Last year, I took six months off. I went into my house in September after I came back from Bali and I came back out of the house in March. Too bad I ended up in Buffalo. I didn't realize it was still full-fledged winter in Buffalo because I've never been there outside of my childhood, but never the mind. The point was, who wants to work for the whole winter? I didn't. It let me spend time on my coaching business and really flush things out and develop this sweet routine living in my house. I just loved having full control of my day-to-day schedule. And so that for me is part of my why and why I have really started trying to hone in on my financial goals. Um, And so I implore you to develop some financial goals and get with a coach. Personally, I had to set some other personal goals. The thing I looked forward to about finally finishing training was getting to fully live life like the other parts of my life, not just the medical parts. I wanted full friendships, hobbies. I wanted to dedicate time to romantic relationship because your girl was single AF and I was tired of that. I am too old to just be spending my life alone when I could have a personal love bunny in my house that I can cuddle with in the winter time when I'm hibernating and not working. Hello, do you see how those all tie in together? Okay, I wanted time to spend, you know, with my family. I did not want to continue spending my nights and weekends at a hospital. I didn't want nobody calling me at night. Y'all, if y'all listen to last week's episode, when I come home, I go and I lay down, okay? I want to rest, I want to relax. I didn't want to have all of my my free time occupied by sleep and life maintenance things like laundry and feeding myself. And that's kind of how I felt residency was. You know, when you're post-call, the only thing you can do is sleep. And then when you get up, maybe you'll eat a meal and try to figure out what quick tasks you can do. Maybe grocery shop or laundry or call someone back. You're really just picking a handful of things that you can do in the tidbits of free time and I no longer wanted that to be my experience I really wanted to live this rich full life that involves love and adventure and relaxation it involves experiences you you know what you need for experiences time time and money when you have clear goals and a picture for what you want it becomes easy to sign up for things or not to sign up for things Do you choose things at random or not, right? If you have specific goals, financial, work, personal, and something comes up, you can just easily ask yourself, does this thing support what I have planned for myself or not? If the answer is not, that's the answer. Then I will not be doing it. And I'll get into saying no later. We'll we'll continue that. My next point is that your time is a finite resource. Giving it away for free is not an option. You have no obligations to sign up for that committee. Certainly, stop doing things to be liked. Stop trying to be helpful in a way that is not helpful to you, especially in your first year as an attending or in your first year, first couple years at a job. You need to evaluate how your schedule will work, What are the unwritten obligations that you'll have to maintain and make time for? 
And that's everything from charting to billing to lab review. There's a whole bunch of things that are padded within your day that they don't account for when they schedule appointments. They just schedule appointments, not realizing that they're, no, actually I take that back. They do realize that there's ancillary tasks. They expect you to do it on your own time. And my time is finite. Okay, I don't know when I'm gonna go to the good Lord. Okay, I need to preserve all my minutes. And also, I don't want to do things outside of work that are not fun. I am signing up for only fun things. I mean, you know, like I said, I wanted to build relationships. Training in residency wasn't kind to all of my friendships or all of my relationships. So I implore you, don't automatically fill your time with unpaid crap. You're not there to impress anyone by overextending yourself. You signed up to serve your patients. Speaking of signing up for things, when you join a job, you must be willing to negotiate. You're going to sign up for a contract. You're going to sign up for some long-term agreement, maybe, unless you do locums. And even then I say do month to month. Don't sign up for a full year. But you need to negotiate. It's not greedy. It's not selfish. It's not ungrateful. Yes, it's great that they offered you the job. You do not repay them by giving them everything they want and getting nothing you want. That's not equitable. Advice givers on this kind Beyonce's internet will tell you to negotiate. They will not tell you how. They will not teach you how to overcome your mindset, how to ask for what you want, even when you're uncomfortable or think it's greedy or selfish. It's great advice, it really is, but it does not help you much. You know who helps you? I do. As a coach, that's my job. I will tell you how to get exactly what you want when you want it. If you're really motivated, you'll probably try to read some negotiation books. You, you'll figure, mm, if I have the knowledge, then I'll be able to apply it. Except even the knowledge doesn't really cover why you've avoided negotiating all this time. It doesn't cover how to tackle maybe all of the doubts in your mind or even expose some of those things that are keeping you back. This episode is not long enough for me to teach you all of those things either. You are welcome to to reference my previous episodes, episodes 9 and 11, for more info on negotiation. But truly, if you're interested in being a boss negotiator, reach out to me for my process. I will teach you exactly how to ask for anything you want at any time you decide you want it, not on the one-year mark, not when you've proven yourself in some way that you've decided is the ideal measure, anything you want at any time. You can read a book, sure, but that's like reading the rules of chess and automatically thinking you can play. Don't nobody do that. I mean, you can physically play, but will you win? Right. So that leads me to my next point, which is, One of my negotiation techniques is to say no and. This is when someone asks you to do something or asks you to sign up for a job and you want to say no. You, you know, tell them you'll get back to them. Hopefully it's over email or it's not in person. But even if it is, you say, let me think about it and get back to you. Even if you know you don't want it. Because what you want to do is have time to think about your response It should be the start of a fruitful negotiation or I call it like positioning. You want to position yourself to get something that you really want. So you would say no and then state what you want or are willing to do instead. 
I talk about this in depth in the 28th episode called The Art of No. And I tell stories and I give examples on how to do this. So you can go back and listen to episode 28 on how to say no and. It's great. The examples are physician examples. It's talking about refusing a job offers or multiple job offers and negotiating and how I ended up getting exactly the position I wanted to using this technique. Part of saying no is also founded on the principle of not being a team player. I know that sounds crazy. You get a lot of encouragement to be a team player, to work well with others. There's no I in team, blah, 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 snore. Being a team player has only ever gotten me more work. Don't volunteer for these unpaid tasks and committees by trying to be a team player. This is not the same as being helpful. I want you to be helpful, but not at your own detriment. So you need to say no. I think about, well, another doctor shared a story about how she was on a 14-day stretch and they hadn't done the hiring properly. So she was critical. She's a critical care physician. If you're in any of these black doctor groups, you know who I'm talking about. Um, But she was on a 14-day stretch and they didn't properly finish credentialing the person who was supposed to take over for her. And when she called that physician, they had no intentions of coming in. They weren't on the schedule as far as they knew, but the hospital had written them onto the schedule. So she had no one to sign out to really. And so they turned around and asked her after 14 days of being on, if she wouldn't mind working while they tried to figure out their scenario. She told them no, and her picture was her on the plane heading back home, and I died laughing. But you know what happened? They found coverage because they always bounce back. They always land on their feet. And what would have happened is that she, in her exhausted state, would have overstretched herself by being a team player and trying to cover. She said she was a team player by completing the notes for that day on the patients, and then she promptly left. So that was her version of team playing. In, in a way that did not harm her. It made sure that the notes and orders were placed for the day for the patients, which gave the hospital a good couple of hours to figure out who was coming in that wasn't gonna be hurt, right? So choosing to be helpful is one thing. Choosing to do so at your own detriment, totally different topic. Boy, these are just flown right into each other. The next one is, it is not my job to fix a broken system. I have a personal motto to leave places better than I found it. I love to do like little small tasks, things that pay it forward. If I'm in a space, I will leave it nicer than I met it. I will figure out just ways to, you know, make small kind, small acts of kindness, right? But there's a difference between that and trying to stop every gap that's happening in the clinic I'm in now that happens all the time where you know the schedule is crap they don't have a no-show policy people don't show up we have all these gaps in the schedule it's not my job to be trying to fill the schedule or allowing you to double book me because you're not sure who's going to show up and who isn't no fix your no-show policy why would I sign up to be double booked so then when the patients both show up 
then I'm running behind and I have double the work. Is that when am I going to finish my notes? When am I going to do things? It's not my job to to accommodate for your complacency and your inability to manage. I'm not interested in that. If you don't want to fix it, that's on you. I hear about the other employees are in there complaining consistently about the same things over and over and over again. Every week they're sending emails. They're having conversations in the Epic chat. They are calling the, the office managers, the people above the office managers about the same three topics. Listen, those people hear you and they know what the issues are and they've decided they don't care because the money is still coming in some way, somehow, they have no motivation to fix it. It's time for you to acknowledge when people hear you and they don't want to fix it. That's, I don't know, that takes some people a while to get to. Because you think if you keep reiterating and showing how detrimental it is to you and how easy of a fix it would be that they are motivated to do something about it. And honestly, some places are really not and you have to be able to tell the difference. So in those cases, and in any, honestly, in any work scenario, I spend my time modeling and reinforcing what I'm doing, like what what my role is and how I expect to be treated. Treating yourself how you expect to be treated is so clutch. You don't even realize and you don't know who's watching you. I remember my same job, Afghan refugee camp. I'm there and I decided to do this four-day work schedule. Mind you, I was fresh out of fellowship. This was my first job. So who did I think I was telling these people I was only going to work Monday through Thursday, no overnights, no weekends, don't call me, I'm not coming, it's not happening. But I, you know, empowered myself to make that decision because I knew that's what I needed to even re-enter medicine because I took a break after fellowship. I knew I couldn't continue down the road to burnout. I was going to suffer. So I decided that was going to be my break. And when this job opportunity came up, because it was with a refugee population and I had done a whole fellowship in global health and I felt like it was something that, you know, was very interesting to me and I was passionate about marginalized communities that I was going to take this job. But the only way I could take it is if it was able to meet things that didn't also affect me negatively, right? So that was my choice. I'm going to work Monday through Thursday. And in so doing, I learned a really valuable lesson. And that is you don't know who's watching and who's referencing you for permission. I had a chief of peds in that department who you know, watched me week after week, month after month, only work Monday through Thursday and say it like a hundred times because people would be like, oh, are we seeing you tomorrow? Which would have been a Friday. And I was like, it's against my personal constitution to work on Fridays. It still is. I still operate on that schedule. But him as the chief, he's in his 60s. He's been chief of a major hospital, a major children's hospital in an ICU program, like a head honcho. And he watched little me, first year out of resident, first year out of not residency, out of fellowship, say that I had these strong work boundaries and stick to it. And you know, after some time of watching me, he decided he was changing his schedule too to only work Monday through Thursdays. And I thought, that is so funny because I would expect to be learning from him in his stage, in his advanced 
career and he was learning from me. So, you know, a point that I always make is that you can be a leader from any position in any period. You just don't know who is watching you, who is learning from you. Don't underestimate yourself. You have something to teach and you need to be bold in your care for yourself. Remember, you are the asset and you have to protect the asset at all costs. I'm not talking about the brand of self-care that's promoted on the internet, right? I'm not talking about bubble baths and candles, naps and massages. That's more aftercare for when you're already spread thin and when your cup is already empty. You create a couple activities that help you fill your cup, like refill your cup. But I want to help you not empty your cup in the first place. At least leave it half full. I want you to stop from draining yourself. And I think that's what I was doing without really knowing that immediately after fellowship when I took that two and a half month break, I was stopping myself from going down to E. I didn't even realize it at the time, but I did see that the road ahead was leading straight to exhaustion and I opted to get off the bus. I only got back on the bus when I decided what my new destination was, when I was very clear on my goals and what conditions I would operate under and do well. With that in mind, you need to spend time developing that for yourself and then trying to put that in your work contract. And if you're signing an existing contract, you need to spend time looking up what to look out for and what to ask for in that contract. We're talking about things like removing or reducing non-compete clauses because in the event that you need to quit that work environment, they tell you you can't work within a 10-mile radius. It really depends on where you are, whether or not there's anything outside of that 10-mile radius, right? And and for how long are you not allowed to do that? For two years, three years? So what are you going to do for three years? I know people... I know a doctor who moved outside of her non-compete area with her newborn because she could not practice in her same city for years, her and her newborn. Her husband stayed in the city because he had work and she had to take her newborn and go to an adjacent town to practice. So you want to pay attention to things like non-compete clauses, even if you're not sure when you're going to need them or how it's going to play out. Try to reduce the area or try to reduce the the length of time or have it removed altogether. Also, increasing your sign-on or your move bonus, there's more money, ask for it, get what you need. If your partner has to relocate for a job, that should be included in your bonus. There's all kinds of things you can ask for, but be careful, pay attention to the terms of those bonuses because some of those bonuses come with the clause of, If you were to terminate your contract early, then you have to give that bonus back. Some of those things are thousands of dollars. Please, I'm like, again, I use the word implore a lot apparently, but I am begging you, read those contracts. It is so critical. You need to think about if you have to repay things, if things don't work out, and if you need to leave. Get a lawyer to review this. I know a great MDJD who will do this for you. If you have questions, please just send me a DM, a text message if you know me personally, um, and I will refer you to him. He's awesome and funny and is a doctor. He is a doctor, so he knows exactly what to look out for. I do not get commission in referring. 
In fact, he probably doesn't even remember who I am. He did a contract for me a while ago, but I still send people to him because he's very good and he's kind. And I just sent one of my friends to him and she had the exact same experience and I was referred by by another doctor. And so, you know, you don't always meet people that are going to do right by you. And because they know that you're becoming a an attending and you're going to make money, they see dollar signs and they might want to overcharge you. And this guy is not that guy. So let me know if you need a lawyer. While you're doing all your research, be sure to read and learn how malpractice works. Listen, people who don't understand malpractice and have no risk of being sued will be telling you to do all kinds of sorts of things that will violate your malpractice or end you in a lawsuit, okay? They'll have you signing all kinds of documents, especially if you're at a practice where there's primarily mid-levels. There are documents that only doctors can sign, right? If you are... I'm the only pediatrician where I am right now on my locum's assignment. And they tried to pull the fast one of having me be the primary care physician for all the patients on their health insurance cards because the health insurance requires a physician. You cannot be a nurse practitioner or a PA and be on the health insurance card. But I refused because first of all, I don't run this clinic. I'm here for a short time and not a good time. And I don't wanna be responsible as the PCP for patients that are being seen by a nurse practitioner or someone, basically anybody else that I'm not seeing, essentially. I don't care who's seeing them. I don't wanna be responsible for that. You know what happens on a lawsuit with malpractice? They look through the chart, they see all who's on that chart. Even if you're not tied to the immediate error, they will sue everybody on that chart because they're looking for the highest paid malpractice. You know who has the highest paid malpractice? The physician. There are so many physicians that get sued And they, even if they're found not at fault, like you had nothing to do with it, you just saw this patient once, they went to a nurse practitioner or someone else afterwards or whatever, you had nothing and they find you not responsible for this poor medical outcome, you still were involved in a malpractice suit and therefore have to declare it every time you file for a medical license or a new job. So congratulations, you just bought yourself an extra paragraph of work plus interview explanations and speculations and licensing issues because someone else asked you to sign on or do something because you didn't know that it was putting you at risk for a malpractice lawsuit. You can't be that person and you can't go to court saying you didn't know, okay? So please look up and read about how your malpractice works. You will not believe some of the shenanigans, okay? They will literally have you out here exposed, okay? Be careful. If someone asks you to do something that makes you uncomfortable and you're not sure, trust your gut and say no. Or tell them you need time to think about it and run to your nearest Facebook doctor forum. I highly recommend the Black Doctor Collective Facebook forum. And you get consensus on whether or not it's a crazy ask or it's something strange. And you get a little perspective on how to respond to it, etc. Okay, please. And while we're on the topic of responding appropriately to things, asserting yourself, saying no and really advocating for yourself, defending yourself, please be able to read 
the room. If reading the room is not your area of expertise, don't go in there spouting off about boundaries and your opinion, etc. You will be in environments where they are not used to black physicians. You will be at the mercy of someone else to keep your job or to transition to a new job successfully or to get a promotion or a raise. Know and understand that and act accordingly. It is never in your best interest to call people racist or confront them directly unless you have a very clear exit plan that will not impact your career. I'm not telling you not to stand up for yourself. I'm not telling you not to speak out for injustices. I'm saying that if you're doing so, be sure that you have protection around your career because this is still a very white environment. This is still a supremacist workplace. And so telling people that they're racist will never go around well and they will start to target you and retaliate against you and you will suffer retribution. This is seen all the time. It's sad, but this is a fact of life. We cannot pretend that racism does not exist. We cannot pretend we're in a post-racial world and that these things have happy endings and that every time you stand up for yourself, that it has a great outcome. You might feel great in the moment, but you might have years of crap to deal with because of that. Figure out how to get yourself out of those environments. I do not want you to stay someplace that is not healthy for you, right? But if someone is asking you or talking to you in a way that you feel is discriminatory, you need to decide if it's the right environment to call them to the mat or if you just need to put your exit plan in place and get the heck out of there. Like I said, if they have power over your income or your career path, they probably aren't going to take kindly to your wording. And if there's nothing to gain for you and they're not likely to learn from that scenario, don't let them learn it at your expense. Just get what you need to get and get going. There are absolutely times to speak up. I'm telling you, pick your battles. You need to know when to move on from an unsustainable, unsafe, or unhealthy work environment. I am literally telling you, you need to know when it's okay to quit your job. Quitting is not a bad word. Sometimes you need to quit medicine as a whole to save yourself. That is okay too. I also had to change the way I felt about quitting. You hear and subsequently absorb all of these ideas that quitting is bad, quitters never win, and you associate it with failure. Quitters, what is it? Quitters never prosper, something like this. I don't know. There's all these colloquial sayings about quitting that make us afraid to do it, but like I said, if you are really aware of your values and you're really aware of your goals, you will understand that that is just a means to an end, okay? You can quit. I gave you permission. If that's what you needed to hear, quit, okay? This taps into point one, which was that medicine is not your identity and your ability to survive in a place has nothing to do with your personal individual value or resiliency, we absorb medicine as part of our identity. We spend many of our formative years working towards this goal. So there's definitely gonna be a process to letting that go if you decide to quit a job or quit medicine altogether. It helps to know that you are always a doctor, 
being a physician in general is part of your identity. Working at that specific job is not. You did the work, you earned the title. Practicing forever does not negate you being a physician. You are always that. You are still a whole person. You still have a tremendous amount of value, even if that's the role you choose not to fill anymore. My last piece of advice, I can't believe I've been talking for an hour. Wow, I had a lot to say. You see why I couldn't do the quit episode this week? Anyway, my last point is to find your people. Find a supportive person, a coach, a therapist, find your community. Being an attending is hard, okay? It seemed like it was the light at the end of the tunnel when you were in training, but now reality's here. And this is a high risk, low reward job a lot of the times. I mean, you have a lot of personal reward when you feel fulfilled about things, but that doesn't always happen. Things aren't always pretty. Things aren't always packaged the way you want it to be, right? You may have a great experience, but you may not. And either way, if you want help and support, supporting your goals, validating your experiences, knowing how to get through difficult experiences, navigating negotiation, becoming an expert negotiator, you will find support. You will go farther with community and with the right kind of guidance than you will ever go alone. So again, I am here for you as your favorite physician coach. Please send me a message. I love having these conversations. Obviously, the fact that I talked about this for an hour is still blowing my own mind. I never thought when I started podcasting that I would even be able to go this long. But I am very passionate about serving other doctors and helping everyone set up good boundaries because I think that that's what's going to lead to the sustainability of medicine as a whole. And I think that empowering doctors only empowers the health system as a whole. So that's my personal motivation for why I'm here. I want to know what's your motivation. What are your goals? What are you setting out to do as you start a new year at a new job or a new year at the same job? That's it for this week. Don't forget Tune into episode 28 if you're still interested in listening to The Art of No. It's a really good episode. And next week, I promise that we will talk about what to do when you're ready to quit. Maybe. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And what I want you to do next is write a review. I'm going to make this so easy for you. Just go ahead and give me five stars. But also leave a comment that tells me how we can be off the charts. I want you to link us everywhere you can. Instagram at The Black Doctor, The Black Doctor website to join our newsletter. Just become part of our collective. I want you here. Thanks. Until next time. Bye.